I've done all the things that you're supposed to do, and now I'm at my parents' basement. <laughs> can't get a job. You know, can't, Starbucks won't call me back. You know, what's you know what went wrong here? And I've, I, I felt pretty bad about myself for a while. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today, listeners, we have a special episode featuring the founder of Impossible HQ, Joel Runyon. On this episode, Joel really digs deep into the concept of building a business he is passionate about and at the same time supporting his lifestyle. Impossible HQ is a business and a passion. While he built it up, he created some side businesses along the way that were spinoffs of his main business. These continue to fund his location-independent lifestyle and build his wealth at the same time. Currently, Joel is focused on his 777 project. He will be running seven ultra marathons to raise a total of $175,000. This money will go to Pencils of Promise to build seven schools in third world countries. When this podcast was recorded, Joel had ran six of seven ultra marathons and will finish up his last one in a few weeks. He also talks about the mentality it takes to be an ultra marathon runner and how he keeps his body in shape. And with that, let's welcome Joel Runyon to the show. How you doing, Joel? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And where are you calling in from today? I am in Rova Niemi, Finland, which is about an hour north of Helsinki. Uh, and it's the official home of Santa Claus, apparently. No, shut up. Really? Yeah. No, seriously. Oh, for tourism purposes, yes, he's everywhere. Uh, apparently, <laughs> there's some dispute of where Santa actually lives. And from like Finnish legend, that's like another town like an hour away. But uh, if you come into town, Santa's everywhere. It says official airport of Santa, a bunch of other stuff. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Rovaniemi's official home of Santa. I, I could imagine that the locals there might get a little feisty if you say Santa's from somewhere else, like maybe the North Pole and <laughs> not Finland. I think uh, I think they might get just tired of seeing Santa all over the place. It's not a big town. and. <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate the tourism, but I, I could imagine if you were growing up here and you saw Santa on every street corner and uh, you didn't see him in town at the grocery store, you'd be a little bit upset. <laughs> so you're in Finland for ultra marathon number five or six? Number six. So I'm doing a, a 66K for race number six. Um, and uh, it's a it's a mixed race. So there's people that are doing it on a fat bike. There's people that are doing cross-country skiing. And there's like... I think 40 people total doing the race that I'm doing. And uh, I think maybe like 10 of them are doing it on foot. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> right on, man. Before we talk more about your ultra marathons and the 777 project, let's get a history of you. Tell us how you became the entrepreneur and world traveler and impossible hacker that you are today. Yeah, so I would say most of my story starts in 2009. I graduated from school uh, and kind of had done what you're supposed to do up to that point. I uh, got good grades, had the 3.9, uh, you know, did uh, multiple sports in college, basketball and uh, track and field, uh, learned a couple languages, traveled the world, did a bunch of uh, extracurriculars and community service. And uh, I kind of followed the road that you're supposed to do until I graduated college. And I graduated college in 2009, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew the next thing that you're supposed to do is get a job. And so I started applying and sending out my resume to a bunch of different places. 
And uh, this is where things started to change because nobody really responded. And I hmm. I started applying to the places that I really wanted to be. And then I started kind of lowering my standards and started saying, okay, you know, I'll apply to anywhere that will kind of, you know, that could be a good next step. And uh, maybe I could work my way up. And then I started just applying to anywhere that would take me. And I, I started applying to like Starbucks <laughs> and, and uh, Target as, you know, just, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, store members, and uh, I, I couldn't even get a call back from Starbucks. And wow. So <laughs> I, uh, I finally got a uh, temporary job with UPS uh, right around Christmas. So like after six or seven months of just striking out, I got a, you know, a, a temp job with UPS uh, helping deliver packages around Christmas time. And the recession back then was so bad that we were supposed to go out for six weeks, and they didn't even have enough packages uh, to justify hiring us for six weeks. So they only hired us for three weeks. Um, and I think my first paycheck was for $11. So after taxes and union dues were taken out. So, um, I did this job, you know, for a couple weeks and, and then after Christmas they fire us cause it's a seasonal thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I find myself in my parents' basement in Chicago and I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. Up to this point, I'd done the script of what you're supposed to do. And now, I've done all the things that you're supposed to do, and now I'm at my parents' basement. <laughs> can't get a job, you know. Can't Starbucks won't call me back. Um, you know what's you know what went wrong here? And I've, I I felt pretty bad about myself for a while. And during this time, I was reading sites like Chris Gillibo's, uh, seeing him travel to 193 countries. I think I was reading Sean Ogle's blog at this point, uh, Location 180, and. Uh, he had just quit his job and moved to Thailand. And I was like, oh, those are all cool things. Those are things I want to do. Uh, I'd love to travel to every country in the world, but I don't have any money. Uh, I'd love to quit my job and go to Thailand, but I don't even have, I don't, can't even get a job to quit. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I was looking at all these things and kind of writing things down that I, I was thinking about or wanted to do or kind of had on my mind. And uh, they all just seemed really impossible to me. And so, um, I felt bad for myself for uh, a little bit, but after a while feeling bad for myself, I kind of got sick of it. You can only feel bad for yourself for so long. And mm-hmm. I looked at my list, and one of the things on my list was run a triathlon. And I didn't know anything about uh, triathlons. I didn't I've never run anything. Yeah, I'd, I'd never done any races before. Um, I didn't know anything about them. But you know, I, I, I had an excuse for why I couldn't travel. I had an excuse for why I couldn't start a business, but I didn't have an excuse for why I couldn't go outside and run around the block. So that was the thing I picked and I did it. I trained for it, uh, did an indoor triathlon. And after two or three months, uh, I think I went out and trained for it. And I remember very specifically when I finished that race that I kind of had a, uh, a moment of clarity where I said, you know, Oh, you just, just finished this race. Like you spent so much time, you spent, you know, months, building up to this saying that you couldn't do this or you didn't know how to do it or it, it wasn't possible and you just did it. So if that's the case with this race, how many other things out there uh, that you're telling yourself are impossible um, are actually doable if you just go out and train and work and, and, and try for it. And so that kind of started impossible. And for a long time, it was just a, um, uh, a blog where I'd go out and, you know, talk about, uh, at first it was just triathlons, I think, and just trying a bunch of new stuff. And I think my mom read it and that was it. And I started taking this concept of, you know, just go out and try stuff and train for it and and go after it, uh, to different things and end up getting a job, getting a promotion, working my way up to a a couple different levels before getting recruited to other places. And then, 
eventually led myself to like take those skills I had learned and and quit. And I just kind of started doubling down on my own business. So we can get into the nitty gritty on all those different jobs they took, but uh, the end result was I just kind of took it one step at a time, and um, you know, kind of took that uh, the concept of okay, I don't know if I could do that, but I'm gonna try for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna set my sights on it. I'm gonna go after it, and uh, it's gonna be a really small thing at first, and then I'm kind of take the stair steps over time and uh eventually led me quitting my job starting a business uh around impossible and then starting a couple spin-off businesses around that and uh uh and now doing some stuff where i'm running those businesses and then using some of the proceeds from the businesses to give back to, to others and in, in uh through this marathon project so incredible story man so joel i want to talk about impossible and how you turned it into a business right now because uh, I know there's a lot of listeners out there who they have their passion for this business so so there's a lot of entrepreneurs and I'm sure you know many of them too that start a business just to make money and mm-hmm. then when they make the money then they go out and they do the fun things like run the ultra marathons and travel the world and this sort of thing you kind of had the opposite mentality of you thought let's create impossible and mm-hmm grow it as a business from the passion that you had. So I'd like to talk about starting out and creating this into a business to where it started funding you to go do the fun things that you wanted to do. Yeah. So, uh, to start, it, it wasn't a business to start. It was a blog where I was literally talking about, here's something that I'm going to do. And I realized kind of quickly that that's kind of interesting, but people also want to know how they can go out and do those things too. And so, um, after, you know, writing about, you know, the things I was doing and and that's still definitely a a part of the site. Um, I, I came to a turning point where I, I kept getting people to ask me questions and, and a lot of the questions were around, you know, how do I go about and do what you just did or how do I do, you know, I, I had a couple different things. I, I, I got a six pack and did a photo shoot for it. Um, and then I got a bunch of questions that people always want to know, like, how do you get a six pack? How do you do a photo? Like all that stuff. And so that we turned that into a, a physical product. Um, I had mentioned paleo a couple times, um, on the site when talking about nutrition and, and fitness and, uh, people started to ask me questions about what's the paleo diet, what's the paleo. And so then I took basically those questions, turned it into a website and, uh, that turned into a business. That's its own separate thing that is kind of on the, under the umbrella of impossible businesses. Um, and so a lot of the, I I guess this is a vague answer on, on, on what your question is, but a lot of the things that have turned into businesses from impossible, um, have been from just listening to questions, uh, from people and having, you know, kind of sharing parts of my story, sharing parts of, uh, where I have expertise and then, um, you know, drawing from that story in other, in order to share, uh, with others how they could do something similar or, or sharing just even the path that I took. Um, and it, maybe it's not the one and only path, but it's the path that I took and here's the steps along the way that, uh, I screwed up and I, 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 you know, did right and, you know, how they can do it too. And that's kind of the concept of impossible is you know, making, you know, going after these, you know, impossible challenges that, uh, you know, you may or may not think are for you. I know when I started, I definitely didn't think that I could do any of the things that I wanted to do. Um, you know, I could, couldn't get a job at Starbucks. So my self-esteem wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very high, <laughs> but, um, 
you know, the, this idea that, um, you know, go after the impossible things. And, you know, if you can see me do it, just like a normal regular guy who, you know, former UPS worker, if you can see that I can do it, hopefully that gives you, you know, a little bit conception that you can do it too. And so I kind of use that in a couple different areas. And so, um, we've done a couple different fitness products around that. Um, we've done, like I said, the, the paleo business was a whole spinoff of just, I got inundated with questions about paleo, paleo diet. And, um, didn't want impossible to be just a, a paleo site. And so we ended up building a paleo site and that turned into its own spin-off business with a meal planning service and a couple different apps and um, a couple other different digital products. And um, that's kind of just been my approach to business, you know, you know, continue to write, uh, get an audience and then, you know, listen to the audience to listen to what they're asking questions about, what they're interested in. And then, finding out where my story intersects with that and, and trying to give the best help that I can in that area. Starting out in those earlier days, how were you building your audience? I know you were blogging, but were you also using some SEO or did you have a good warm market already or how'd that work for you? It was a lot of blogging, a lot of guest blogging, and it was a lot of like um, just meeting people and networking with them. I think that's a little bit tougher now because <laughs> – Everything is, there's been so many courses on how to build an audience, blogging, that, you know, I think people get these like uh, kind of stock emails saying, hey, I would like to write for your blog. And they're very, um, you know, robotic and, and formal. And a lot of it was literally like me fanboying on Sean Ogle and saying, hey, Sean, uh, I would like to go to Thailand at some point. <laughs> you know, is there anything that you would have advice for me? And literally just like asking stuff like that. I remember, you know, emailing him early on and emailing someone like Steve Cam early on. And um, a lot of it was just pretty natural. Uh, I was just reaching out to people that I was reading and, and, and talking to them uh, like a human. I was probably pretty awkward as a human, but uh, still trying, you know, trying my best to, to talk to them. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really know very much SEO. I, um, I ended up, uh, so the other side of my story is, you know, while I was doing this blog, I ended up taking like super entry level jobs at this internet marketing firm because I, I, um, I knew I didn't really have any skills in the internet marketing area, but I was in, interested in the internet. I was interested in marketing. I thought maybe they'd go together. And uh, while, you know, the first two, two and a half years of my blog, I had a day job while I was working on this. And I was learning skills like PPC and, um, you know, probably two years in, I started to learn SEO, but I didn't even have those skills in my toolbox beforehand. And so a lot of it was just writing and getting good at writing. And I wouldn't even say the audience was there at first. I was just, I was kind of um, you know, the first year, year and a half, I was writing for myself almost more than anyone else just because um, it was a vehicle for me to do something interesting with my life. And I had spent so much time just in my parents' basement and just feeling bad about myself. When I first finished that triathlon, I realized, wow, you know, even if nobody reads this, this is empowering me to do something more interesting with my life and, and push myself. And so, you know, initially, especially, especially early on, that's what drove me more than, you know, trying to make money right away or, you know, right out the gate. And, um, you know, that's kind of where, uh, the push came from. You created a, a full on paleo business as a spin off of what suggestions or mentions that you got from the impossible blog, correct? Yeah. So, I did this. I did this like six pack and photo shoot 
uh, uh -huh. challenge or whatever and, and wrote about it and that ended up getting a decent amount of pickup and uh, one of the things I talked about was basically I took paleo and modified it in a way and I kind of did it in a offhand fashion <laughs> and that was like the one thing people picked up on and so people just started pinging me about paleo 24-7 and um, it was kind of an answer to a customer service question I was, I was tired of answering you know these uh, you know in-depth emails uh, with 500 2,000 word responses and I was just like I'm just gonna put this on a website and if anybody asks me this I'm just sending them the link to the website <laughs> and um, I, I started that and then that started gaining traction and paleo started getting uh, more popular right after that um, and it just started to kind of gain a little bit of steam mm -hmm. and pretty quickly I realized it could be its own separate thing. And I, I didn't really want Impossible to be, um, the way I see Impossible, it's a, it's a site for pushing yourself mentally and physically. And, you know, nutrition is a part of that. And nutrition can be a big part of that. But it's not always exclusively paleo. Paleo tends to um, lean towards people who are, you know, wanting to lose weight um, or have, like, autoimmune issues. And so I, I didn't think it would jive specifically with the brand and so kind of created a spin-off site called ultimate paleo guide that was just about paleo um and then that's kind of created its own ecosystem where we have a meal planning service paleomealplans.com um we've got a couple different recipe sites we've built two different apps for it um and it's kind of its own self-sustaining business that grew out of impossible but is kind of its own separate thing than uh you know what we're doing at impossible nice so let's talk more about Impossible. And the business website blog is how old now? About seven years old, eight years old? Oh, geez. Um, seven? Uh, it's got to be seven, right? 2010. So it's yeah. uh, April. April is, I think, the birthday of it. So, um, yeah. Man, that makes me feel old. Jeez. Um, but yeah, no, it's been going for seven years. And like I said, it started off with the indoor triathlon. And um, now I'm running, you know, it kind of takes steps along the way. And now I'm running ultra marathons. What were some of the impossible tasks or goals that you had that you did along the way? So when I first started, it was literally run an indoor triathlon. Mm -hmm. And you can, I, I it, I kind of want to delete the old posts because they're kind of embarrassing, but I, I like to leave them up there because it gives you the full spectrum of um, <laughs> literally where I started from. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, after I finished an indoor triathlon, I was like, okay, what's next? And the next one was like a sprint triathlon. And so I started getting into triathlons pretty heavily, did a sprint, Olympic, half Ironman. Uh, and then I've kind of tricked myself into running. I never liked running. I still don't really like running very much, but I was running so much just because I was training for these triathlons. I kind of basically tricked myself into running. Mm -hmm. I then just started signing up for 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathon. Uh, and then one point, you know, five years ago, I signed up with a buddy and decided to do my first marathon. Uh, after I finished the marathon, I told myself that was as far as I ever needed to go. And then I found out about ultra marathons and then started doing that. And, uh, and so a lot of it was physical at first, but then, like I said, I, I started taking that same mindset and approach and, and applying it to my life. So I, I, you know, I got a job and then I, I really took ownership of that job and worked my way up from, uh, like a commission only sales guy to marketing director of a company, um, ended up turning that company around 
And after a couple of years, I got hired away by another company, um, ended up working with Fortune 500 companies doing their online marketing and spend for them. And then, uh, you know, eventually quitting and starting my own agency. And so, um, you know, the, the specific things were, you know, triathlons, uh, marathons, ultra marathons, entrepreneurship. And then I started, you know, finally started to have a little bit of money. So I started doing some of the travel things that I wanted to do and, uh, traveling while I was working. And when I first quit my job, I moved to Dominican Republic and, uh, kind of baselined all of my costs. Cause I knew I, I didn't have a, a huge runway, but I, I wanted to do something. So, um, moved to Dominican Republic, lived with a couple of buddies, uh, and just kind of started growing the business. And, um, the way I talk about the impossible list is, you know, it continues to grow with me. And so when I first started, it was maybe, you know, five or six things on it that mm-hmm. I thought were really cool. And as I, you know, started to push, uh, my self-perceived limits, um, I found out, you know, I started adding things to it. So, you know, a lot of people have a bucket list and a bucket list, uh, you make one time and you try to check it off and hopefully you check it all off before you die. And the idea of the impossible list is kind of the inverse. Uh, it keeps growing. Like every time you do something new, um, you know, it kind of expands your idea of what's possible and, um, it continues to grow over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you don't ever check everything off. You know, like the idea is I want to be spent when I'm done. And, uh, uh, it's not something you make one time and you hopefully check it out, uh, check it off, but it's, uh, something that grows up with you over time. Have you heard that quote? I don't know who said it, but I think it was from another ultra marathoner. I don't want to end up in my grave neat and pretty and pristine. I want to end up exhausted, worn out, with broken bones and scars all over my body because it was a life well lived. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. that's the, I mean, that's the idea. It's like, uh, I, for me, you know, uh, I have to be careful, you know, when I generalize, but a lot of people are like this, but I know for me, you know, I was so careful for so long and was, you know, so careful to color between the lines and, you know, make sure I did everything right. Mm-hmm. And I was basically forced <laughs> You know, I think 2009 kind of forced me into, uh, okay, well, you're just going to have to figure out something that works and, (laughs) you know, whether or not there are lines or there's a neat path here for you to follow, you're just going to have to figure it out. And, um, you know, I was pretty bummed about it when it first happened, but I think that was probably, you know, I think I'd probably be in a desk job if, uh, if, uh. I didn't have that uh, happen to me. You know, so many people complain about the global recession in 2008 and 2009 about how horrible it was. But I have seen so many people that have stayed on top of their game and absolutely like rearranged and changed their lives because they had no other option. They were losing a home. They had no jobs. They had nothing to do. They're like, okay, let's start a business. Or they had a business. They lost a business and realized it wasn't the business they really wanted anyway and started a new business. So it sounded like uh, that kind of happened to you too. Let's dive into the 777 Project, which I think is absolutely amazing. And for the listeners, Joel is running seven ultra marathons on seven different continents to build seven schools for pencils of promise correct yes very cool and so tell us about it yeah so back in like 2012 or 2013 i think i uh, uh pencil of promise reached out to me they were doing this campaign called impossible ones and i think they googled impossible and found me and they're like this was right after i finished uh my marathon maybe and 
I was like, oh, I'm never going to go farther than that. And they they reach out to me and they're like, hey, what do you think about doing an ultra marathon? Like, you, you seem like an interesting person. We didn't really know each other at that point. And they said, you seem like an interesting person. Um, what do you think about doing an ultra marathon and using it to raise money for kids? And at first I was like, I don't want to do that because that's way too far. I don't even really know anything about ultra marathons. And then I started I kind of have to blame them for this because hmm. I started looking into it and I started realizing ultra marathons are kind of this crazy group of people, uh, that just are, are a little bit nuts. And, um, then they added the do it for kids part. And I was like, okay, so if I'm not doing this, then I'm not only, <laughs> I'm not only like, uh, wussing out of a race, but I'm also like, you know, not hurting kids, but you know, I wouldn't be helping them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so back in 2012, I think I, I ended up doing my first ultra marathon. Uh, it was a 50k in Chicago, um, four pencils of promise, and we raised like twenty seven thousand dollars or something like that, and built a school. And I thought that was really cool. And after after that race, I was kind of in a really good spot. I my business was really going well. Um, I felt you know really awesome that I just done that. I did a you know two or three marathons in training up for that, and so I felt really good. And I was just kind of thinking like, what's the next step what's you know how can i i'm always trying to ask myself that and saying hey you know okay you did that okay what's the next thing that you could do how you know what's tougher than that how can you push yourself to grow in new ways because if you're not growing then you know you're usually getting worse and so um i i looked up a race i i started looking up ultra marathons and um i found this one ultra marathon in, in antarctica and it was 100k and so I was like, whoa, that would be kind of a cool race. And then I started looking up all these other races, and I just started finding really cool ultramarathons around the world. And so I don't re- remember when it happened, but I just remember thinking in my head, it'd be really cool to run seven ultramarathons on seven continents. And uh, and then I was like, okay, well, how would I tie that in with Pencils of Promise? And I was like, I, I wonder if we could build seven schools. And, you know, that's $175,000. It's not a small chunk of change. Uh and I was like really nervous, just just about even running, you know, farther than 50k because I'd done it once, but I didn't know if I could do it seven times. And I just decided that I was going to go for it. And we ended up, you know, do the announcement. And uh, I go down to South America to Patagonia to run my first race. And uh, you know, 40, uh, 20, 26 miles in, uh, right after the first marathon, I coming down a hill, I, I get blown across the road literally by some of the patagonian winds and end up rolling my ankle going downhill Mm. and messed my leg up pretty bad and i didn't know it till later but i tore a peroneal tendon on the outside my outside of my leg and um you know i ended up hobbling in the last like 17 miles or whatever the number was (laughs) after that uh which is not a great thing to do if you've got a bunch of races coming up so I, i did that and i finished the first race and uh I basically had to do take six months off of rehab um, just to fix my leg and, and do all this other stuff. And um, I realized pretty quickly that this, you know, impossible challenge wasn't going to be, you know, just as straightforward as training for it and going out and doing it. And there were going to be a lot of other setbacks along the way. And so, um, you know, that's kind of how it started. And then, um, you know, I had some other things happen in my business um, that kind of, yeah. Uh, kind of you know made me made me uh put it on pause for a little bit but earlier this year or in october actually i ran you know race number two and then you know since the beginning of the year i've been on a little bit of a tear i've done uh three more uh since the beginning of the year and i'm, I'm doing my fourth uh 
uh, or race number six total uh, this weekend. So um, we're almost six out of seven races done. We've raised you know close to uh, $124,000, $125,000, and um, we've got just a little bit left to go. So uh, it's in pretty good shape, and it's one of those things that when I started, I didn't know. I thought it was just going to be about running and uh, – it's just running and fundraising and there's been a lot of other things involved with the <laughs> adventure that uh yeah just just even from a logistics standpoint and a travel perspective that uh have been really really challenging in ways that i didn't necessarily expect when i, I started out so far you've completed patagonia in, in chile and in mm-hmm. the chicago ultramarathon and then australia yep. Nar- narabeen australia is that correct Yep, and then you just finished Antarctica, which was a hundred kilometers, incredible. Yep, and then Thailand after that. And I did Thailand about two weeks ago, and then uh, yeah, I'm in Finland right now. And in, in Finland, it's cold and snowy. When does it start? It starts at I think it starts at nine a.m. So I'm hopefully gonna finish before it gets dark because we have like I think it's like eight hours of flight or or something like that. Um, and so depending on the conditions and, you know, how the paths are, it could either be, you know, a decently fast race if it's if it's well uh, laid out, but it could just be, you know, super snowy. I think we have to cross a couple lakes and frozen ponds and a few other things. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Incredible. I, I got a couple questions. Um, yep. First, I'd like to know when your most difficult moment was during this whole project and maybe when you were running or when you were building a project or just the the most difficult time for you? Um, I would give you two of them. So first uh, was right after the Patagonia race where I was pretty pissed at myself, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I did all this work to, you know, get, you know, finally got the, the guts to actually launch this project and announce it. And then I go out in my first race and I just bust my ankle and it wasn't even like I, you know, it wasn't even like a cool injury or anything. Like I literally was coming downhill and got blown across by the wind. And then like, there's so many things about it just made me mad. And it got to this point where I was just doing rehab and, uh, I was just really upset and it was like a mental, uh, just a mental thing. And then I had a bunch of business stuff that popped up out of nowhere too. And it was just a really, really, really stressful time, um, where I just felt like, really maybe you know i kind of got back to that low point of like you know maybe maybe i can't do this you know and and started second guessing myself um as far as the the racing goes uh a couple weeks ago in in thailand was actually one of the tougher times i um we had gone maybe 20k 25k in half the race it was a 50k in thailand and uh there's a lot of climbing up and down and I was still feeling pretty good. My legs had felt pretty good. And I was like kind of surprised because there was a lot of climbing that we had done. And so I started getting a little bit, I don't know if I got cocky, but I, I, I was feeling pretty good. And, and, and the first half was supposed to have the most climbing. And there's a single track, which is a kind of a one person, um, hiking path or whatever mm-hmm. in, uh, on the back half that was supposed to be, it was supposed to be tough, but it wasn't supposed to be that bad. And, uh, that was the only thing that was waiting for us in the back half. So I thought, you know, I was going to kick it pretty hard for the last 25 K and I was going to finish it out pretty well. And, you know, I, I thought we, we, we got to this one section that I thought was a single track and we finished it and I was like, okay, that wasn't that bad. Uh, 
you know, it's home free right now. We're mm-hmm. just going to, you know, I'm going to run as you know fast as I can all the way to the finish line and basically come around the corner. And, uh, I, I found out that that wasn't the single track and this is the single track. And basically we had to climb like straight up for about two miles. And, uh, it was just, it was, it was slow. It was plodding. There was no real path. It was just like the absence of trees in a couple areas. So you're <laughs> kind of like just making your, everybody's like power hiking, but it's, it's super slow going mm-hmm. by the end of the, when you get to the top, you're, your legs are just trashed. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to continue going for another mile or something like that. And then you have to come down and coming down is just, I thought I was going to make up time coming down again. And it was such a, it was so just as steep as everything else. And so I'm like, you can't even run down it. You're just trying to step down without falling and, and rolling an ankle or, or messing anything up because you're really just kind of making your way through this path. And um, I just, I got through that and that was like, I want to say like, you know, 35 K in or something like that. I had 15 K to go and my legs were just trash. They mm. were just done. And I've done a lot of races. I've gone, you know, a lot farther than that race. Uh, you know, the Antarctica that did a 60 miles or a hundred K and I've never, ever thought about quitting the race. I decided at the beginning of the race, I'm going to finish this thing. And unless you pull me off the track, I'm, I'm finishing this and that race, I started thinking about like, I wonder if I could, you know, find a shortcut here. I wonder if I could, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really want to be out here anymore. And I really started having those thoughts. And, uh, you know, I, I decided that I wasn't, you know, I decided early on that I wasn't going to ever quit. So it wasn't a real question, but it was the first time in a race where I, I remember thinking, I'm like, I can't believe I still have 15K to go. And I think it made it worse because it wasn't that far of a race. It's only a 50K, which is far, but not not it, it it's probably the you know the shortest race that i've done in this last year and a half mm-hmm. and uh but it it would i just i wrote i think i wrote in the roundup post on it like that race was trying to break me it was just it was just like oh what do you got you got anything left nope okay we're gonna keep going and uh that was just that was yeah that was kind of a surprise uh mentally just just really really tough Let's talk about Antarctica, man. You did 100 Ks, which for our American friends, at 62 miles in Antarctica. So uh, I know there's not a lot of people that do that race down there, right? Tell us about <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> so there was 10 people that did the race. Wow. And um, it's a it's a 100K and it's a, around a 10K loop. So you go around this 10K loop 10 times. Wow, okay. And um, I didn't really know very much about it. Uh, I've been... I. This was the race that when I first was planning this back in like 2013, I want to say I saw this race and I signed up and I've been trying to do this race for a couple of years because, but because of the injury and a few other things, like it just, it just wasn't happening. And so all the way up until we landed in Antarctica, uh, and you land on a glacier, by the way, it's like this glacial runway that's like naturally made and you just, you just <laughs> fly in a Russian plane and landed on it. Um, Right until we landed, I was like, this is right, – something's going to go wrong. Like I'm not going to be able to go. Like the plane's not going to work or you know, all this stuff. And so I finally get there. Uh, we had woke up at 4 a.m. that day. Uh, we got into Antarctica around 4 p.m., uh, maybe 3 p.m. And they basically – that was a Friday and we were supposed to run on Saturday. And we show up. We gra- grab our backpack off the, off the plane uh, and we walk into camp. The guy sh- – doctor shows us around he's like there's the there's the uh there's the camp there's the tents here's the mess hall there are the bathrooms 
if you're running just the marathon distance, uh, you're going to be running like two or three days. You're fine. If you're running the hundred K, uh, you're going to need to get ready. Cause you're going to run, you're going to start like pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And so I, I woke up at 4 a.m. that day, and then we went out at 9 p.m. that night. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was running on, like, very, very little sleep. And I was out there for, I want to say, 17 hours. Wow. And um, the sun doesn't set, so it's light the whole time. Uh, there's 10 people running the race, so you don't see anybody uh, <laughs> basically the whole time. Like, it, I don't know. It, it, you you pass people every once in a while when you come back, you know, on the camp side of the loop, you end up, uh, uh, you know, you see a few people, but when you're out on the course, it's six miles Mm -hmm. and there's 10 people spread across six miles that are all going different paces and you just don't see anybody. And I remember being out in the middle of the course and just stopping and looking around and you, you couldn't see anybody. Uh, you, and, and even weirder, there was no wind and when you stopped and you stopped breathing and kind of held your breath, you couldn't hear anything. There was no sound at all. <laughs> uh, and so it was just kind of a bizarre experience. It was, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, the, the course itself was relatively flat. So it wasn't, it wasn't a test of, you know, like climbing or, you know, any really specifically diff- difficult parts. But it was a long time out there. It was incredibly cold well, it, I mean, it, w- it wasn't as cold as it could have been for Antarctica but it was about negative 10 uh, and when you're out there for uh, you know 10 laps it, it gets cold um, but it was just it was just a cool spot uh, you know you have mountains in multiple directions uh, depth perception is something that just gets all messed up in Antarctica you look at something and you're like that's that's really close and they're like no that's 20k away <laughs> and then you look at a another mountain you're like wow that's really far away and they're like it's two miles Mm -hmm. and so you just have no idea like how close or far stuff is because everything's just white uh sometimes the sky you know would peak out and you'd have blue skies but you basically have white white snow black mountains and blue sky sometimes and that that's the only colors you have and there's no animals no no wildlife at all and so you're just out there with your own thoughts half the time and um what was, it, uh, what was the temperature, Joel? It was about negative ten. Um, so it, you know, they they it it can get down to negative twenty or negative thirty. Uh, yeah, with wind, it gets it it feels like it's much colder. Uh, but we were pretty lucky as far as you know that specific day, and that's one of the reasons that they sent us out right at, right after we landed was uh, there was no there wasn't going to be a lot of wind or bad weather coming for a bit so um it was you know quote unquote nice weather for antarctica but it's still not um you know not something you go out in shorts and a t-shirt with so um you know i'd done my homework and gotten all the gear i needed and uh you know felt pretty good about it but it was still uh <laughs> it, it still was a challenge and uh um that was one of those situations where uh just being on your feet for that amount of time is, uh, you know, wears you out Mm -hmm. (laughs) in one way or another. So, uh, but it was, it was an awesome race. I'm already trying to plan on how I can get back there. Um, and it was just a cool, cool experience. And I found out after, uh, I finished the race that that's the last year they're ever going to do the hundred K. So, um, they're never going to run that distance again. They have a, a bunch of people that come down and do a marathon there, but, uh, I finally, so, so I was very happy that, you know, after a couple of years of kind of not being able to go, I got in on the last one. So, 
That made me happy. How are you maintaining your body and your health during this time? Because you went, you're going from ultramarathon in Australia to ultramarathon in Antarctica, then the one in Thailand, then the one in Finland, and then back down to South Africa. So warm climate, cold climate, hot climate, cold climate, warm <laughs> climate. So how are you maintaining your health during this time? Um, I'm running a lot, and um, <laughs> at this point, at this point. Um, the races are kind of helping each other because, uh, you know, to train for a hundred K you're going to have to run a 50 K or something like that in order to train for it. And so a lot of the races I'm kind of using as training races for the next race. And so, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm running flat out in each, each of the races, but, um, you know, there is a benefit of doing them so close. It's, I think it would almost be a little bit harder if I had to stay in that type of ultra shape for, six or eight months where I'm, you know, having to run, you know, a marathon every other week or, you know, whatever to maintain the distance, Mm -hmm. uh, but not necessarily having it go towards my goal. So, um, a lot of that is that, um, I do a decent amount of mobility work. I actually, after I did rehab, um, we ended up building, like I said, I, I ended up either scratching a lot of my own itches or, uh, you know, answering other people's questions is after I did rehab for my ankle, uh, I ended up, uh, building a, a mobility coach app called move well, uh, to basically take me through all the different mobility exercises, uh, that I, I wanted to be able to do, but, you know, I didn't want to necessarily go into, uh, you know, the, the PT center. And so, um, I do a decent amount of, uh, mobility work. Uh, I do, um, you know, massages to try to take care of myself. Uh, I try to eat pretty clean, uh, except post races. I kind of eat whatever I want post race, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of it's, it's just, you know, getting that base level of, uh, you know, getting used to running, uh, you know, for 50 K and, and being able to pull that out whenever you need to. And then, you know, making sure that in between I'm recovering, um, I'm, I'm rehabbing, I'm taking care of my legs. Um, and, uh, I have the right gear with me because, you know, you can't show up to, to race in Finland with the same, uh, same gear you show up to race in Thailand. So, um, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a mix of, you know, just having that right base layer, which I felt like I was at at the beginning of the year and then, you know, continuing to work off that and, and, and getting stronger from there. Do you think you would have the knowledge to take care of your body as well as you do if you didn't roll your ankle in the first ultra marathon? And go through rehab. Um. Yes and no. I I think the. I I realized it kind of put me back a little bit when I first started running halters. I realized I was going to have to do a little bit more to um, take care of myself. Um, I've got a a friend that says. Uh, there's no such, no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. And so I realized pretty early on mm-hmm. that I was going to have to do it. Um, but I also realized that it kind of changed, made me change the scope of what I was looking at. I realized I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm just going to pull this out and just, you know, knock them all out. But, um, you know, I think, you know, when I first started, I really had that base layer, that base level of fitness to run one ultra and then kind of take some time off. And, uh, but not seven. Uh, in a relatively short time spirit span. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of made it a little more clear to me that I needed to be at a different level. And uh, I tried to, you know, when I relaunched everything, I tried to make sure that, you know, I didn't want to run race number two and then get injured again. So right. I, uh, 
I was like, that is not happening. <laughs> and uh, I, I really tried to make sure that happened. And so I think it, I think it kind of prepared me mentally almost. Um, and it, it did give me a lot of more from a practical standpoint of mobility things and specific things to work on. It did give me a lot of specific things because I realized, um, you know, from a, a really micro standpoint that a lot of the issues I was running into happened because of, you know, it was an ankle thing, but, you know, probably originated with my hips and, um, you know, stuff like that is stuff that I've tried to, you know, over the last couple of years, just kind of modify and, and fix over time. Okay, so you start Finland here in a few days, and then after that you go to South Africa, and you've raised 125000 of 175000 Is that right? Yeah, and uh, I'm matching any donations pretty much through the end of the, the race. So if someone donates a dollar, it's donating too. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, from a, from a, from a fundraising standpoint, we're really close, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a... Uh, you know, we have a decent amount of funds available to match. So um, that's kind of one of the things we're trying to push people to do is, you know, even, you know, a lot of times people feel like they can't make a big impact, but even if, uh, you know, two times zero is still zero, but two times one is two. So, uh, you know, even a small impact, um, no matter what it is, is uh, can make a big deal. So we basically built, um, you know, close to five schools right now, and mm-hmm. we've got schools number six and seven, uh, that are, you know, waiting to be built and, uh, we're going to make it happen. Amazing job, my friend, Joel, if the listeners want to reach out to you and learn about the seven, seven, seven project and possible your podcast or contributing to the project, where could they find you at? Uh, dot com is the good kind of ground zero for everything impossible. Um, if you want to check out some of the nonprofit stuff that we do, uh, impossible.org is, uh, kind of, you know, where you can find out more about seven, 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 um, and some other stuff that we do, but impossible HQ, uh, dot com and then impossiblehq.com slash seven, seven, seven is the direct link for the seven, seven, seven project. Incredible, my friend. Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's a very inspirational, man. As you were talking about doing ultra marathons, I was like, man, if Joel could do one, I could do one. Maybe I should sign up for one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's, there's probably some cool ones in uh, in Brazil. I'm, I'm sure of it. So yeah. uh, if you find a, if you, if I, I kind of have an open invite, if people find a co- cool race to do, like I'm, I'm game, I'm, I'm down. Just let me know when, and I'll I'll try to be there. Very cool. Sounds good. Thanks again, Joel, for coming on the show and, and inspiring everybody. It's a great episode. Listeners, thank you for tuning in again, and we're going to sign off there, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. 
This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world